Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means taking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your own reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up, and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hello and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. No, this is not Rob, this is producer Harry, back yet again to give another introduction to today's wonderful interview. So today, the interview is with David McCourt. And for those of you who don't know who David is, he is a billionaire. Yes, we've got another billionaire on the show. Um, Now, David made his billions starting business primarily back in the 80s in the TV cable and uh, whole satellite industry when that was really taking off. And he grew and scaled his business or businesses to kind of what they are today, you know, multi-billion dollar industry businesses. It was a real honor to meet David. He was a really, really nice, charming man, actually. And obviously, we've had a few billionaires on the show before, but uh, David is just something different. He's not like, you know, the typical crop of billionaires. He even says himself he's not the typical uh, billionaire. He says he's not a big spender, which is, you know, very interesting. He says why he doesn't even own a car, you know, for a billionaire to to own a car is, um, yeah, a little bit odd. But, you know, he explains why in the interview. So David made his billions um, through the TV industry uh, and he's uh, a world-renowned name in that industry. But he also does a lot of producing and he's won Emmys in the past. And obviously we've just had the recent Emmys, um, the recent Emmy Awards shows. David also talks about how he sold 20% of just one of his businesses for 1.65 billion US dollars in the late 90s. That was just 20% of one of his businesses. This guy is an absolute tycoon uh, and he has an absolute wealth of knowledge that you guys can um, just take so much inspiration and, and tips and advice from and how you want to grow and scale your business. You know, David's the man to do that. He's done it multiple times in different industries. He's a really funny guy. He's intelligent, really engaging. I really enjoyed this interview. It was an absolute pleasure to meet David. Normally when we do interviews like this, you know, people are obviously very busy and particularly being a billionaire, time is the most uh, vital part to someone like this. And David was so generous with his time. We booked him in just for an hour and he ended up sitting down and having a chat with us for uh, almost three hours. So what you guys are going to listen to right now is a bit of the preamble just before we start the interview. And if you want to listen to any more, we've got a little bit of the postamble as well. So kind of the before and after the main official recording. So enough of me. Let's just get straight into the interview with billionaire tycoon David McCourt. But finally, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. Hello, Tom. Tom, nice to meet you. you. David, how are you? How are you? Nice, nice to, to meet you. you. Thanks for coming. Yeah, my pleasure. Come on in. And uh, do, you, do you do the advertising yourself or do you yeah. ship the whole thing off to somebody else? Fuck no, me. we do it all in-house. Yeah, because a lot of guys just ship the whole thing out and they get a piece of nothing. They get yeah. a piece, but they get fucked a little bit, huh? Yeah. No, we do it all. Um, yeah. Fuck, I had a piece of paper. Um... So you do it, and have you been able to get Thank sponsorship? Um, she chose not to, because um, I don't need the money. So I thought, well, don't use it for that. Just use it to meet interesting people and build my brand, I suppose. So you don't do advertising, right? No. No, like I, I'm a little bit, 
arty like that. Yeah. I feel like I don't want to, like if I did a piece of art, I wouldn't want a massive signature all over it. And Amer- Americans seem a bit more okay with ads, but the Brits are a little bit funny with ads. So, I mean, look, I suppose I could make a tidy sum if I turn the ads on, but I've also gobbed off saying, oh, I'll never run ads because I'm so like, it's all about the art. <laughs> so I've painted myself into a corner there. I've been doing it for three years. Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. So um, thanks for doing this, oh, David. Pleasure, really pleasure. appreciate it. Is there um, anything you particularly, I'd love, love to focus on that for you, but is there anything particularly you don't want to talk about? No. The conviction for child molestation probably don't Okay, yeah, there. well, how are you going to edit that bit out, can you? But it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, we weren't live. It was a while back. Um, my time with Harvey Weinstein, probably skip that. Yeah. My time in the priesthood, skip that. Yeah. Yeah. Brexit, skip that. Definitely skip that. It's funny, none of that came up in the research. <laughs> you said that so deadpan, I started to believe you. <laughs> oh, we are? Yeah. Oh, are yeah. Did, you start, did you believe it? Slightly. Uh, yeah. Well, at the end, you were just like, you, you weren't flinching at all. Yeah. yeah. Shit. And that fucking thing was probably... Yeah. Thing, right? Shit. It was a joke. <laughs> the whole thing was a joke. Um, yeah, those things come back to haunt you, though. Someone mm. finds the film years later. Mm. Remember when Ronald Reagan, they were doing the audio check and they said, Mr. President, do an audio check. And he said, communism has been outlawed. We begin bombing in three minutes. And then they took someone about four months later, someone took that clip. One of the techies took that clip and gave it to one of the news channels. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, shit is what he said. Yeah. 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 The same way I'll feel when you fuckers take this little clip. (laughs) (laughs) David, thanks for being a guest and doing the interview. My pleasure. Did a little bit of research. I tend not to try and trust Wikipedia too much, but we did do a bit of research. Um, and there was a quote, which I'm always interested, was that you that said this or was it someone else? And I think it would be a nice start. And that quote was, I'm a billionaire, but I'm not a big spender. No, the, the second part of it was my was mine, right. where I said, I'm not a big spender. Yeah. The first part was um, added by the newspaper. Right. And um, so the I se- nearly said I'm not a big spender. Right. Nearly. Yeah, that's all I said. I'm yeah. not a big spender. I didn't say I'm a billionaire. Yeah. And um, that would be a dick thing to say. Would it? Yeah. But even if you are one, it's a dick thing to say. In my opinion, it is. Yeah. 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 I was in um, one of the big newspapers in the UK because I crashed my Ferrari into News International building and they came over and they interviewed me. Um, and, uh, the headline was, um, I've written off my Ferrari, but it's okay. Cause my other car is a Porsche, which made me look like a dick, but I didn't say that. They just asked me what cars I had and then they maneuvered it. Yeah. In, so is, yeah. Is, that, is that what they did there then? Well, no, the, I, I was just surprised when I saw it because I just said, I'm not a big spender because I don't, I don't have a huge appetite. I mean, you crash your Ferrari. I don't even have a car. So I have no car I'm going to sit on my cars now. I, <laughs> like, I don't even car. So it, it, I'm just not a big, I'm just not a big, I mean, I don't look like a popper, but I'm just, it's not a big part of my, but my life. But with someone with, you know, so much money, why not? Because there's so many, many other interesting things to do with your money rather than buy stuff that you have to pack and move when you move. You have to worry about someone stealing it. You Insure to, it. You have to insure it. it. You have to worry about 
you know, who's going to smash the Ferrari into it. You yeah. have to worry about who's going to spill something on it. And you just, it just, just a bunch of stuff. Mm. Then you have to worry about who you're going to give it to. Mm-hmm. And then what, you got to find something else of equal value to give someone else. So yeah. everybody thinks you love them the same. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff to worry about. Yeah. People don't see those downsides when they covet them, do they? Well, people want stuff because they want you to believe that they're rich and they assume that when you believe that they're rich, that you'll believe that they're smart and powerful and handsome, right? But that's not necessarily... I feel like I have to go and sell all my nice clothes and cars and everything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what you said, there's better things to do with your money than spend it on stuff. So what's what's that? Well, you could use your money to... You start a business. You could use your money to grow a business. You could use your money to... um, uh, help a charity get started. You could use your money to help someone else start a business. You could use your money to help someone buy a house. You could use your money to buy some land and give it to conservation. And maybe you could, you could, if it, let's just say as an example. So, so I, I bought a house one time on the ocean and I bought all the land to the left and the right of it. Then I gave it to conservation. So, um, the neighborhood has open space, so that's good for the neighborhood. I have open space, so I'm happy with that. Uh, the birds have open space, so they're happy with that. So everybody wins. Can you do that and buy stuff? You could, but mm. I, I don't need that much stuff. No. You know? Yeah, I'm fascinated by that because I, I, I do. I would, yeah, you need a lot. You won't. Soon enough, you won't. No. No, what when it's all too heavy and laden well, baggage? Well, because you'll keep on smashing it up. Yeah, yeah, I do. Bored, you'll get bored with that. Yeah, then you'll want less stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's certain things that that there's certain things that are nice to have. I mean, I'm 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 glad that I have I have a house in the country, and I like to be in the country, and I have a house on the beach and the water, so I like that. Mm. So I'm gonna have a couple of things. Yeah, and place here in London. There's a place in the city as well. Yeah, in, the, yeah. in London. Yeah, which won't be cheap. And won't be cheap. Yeah, but. I don't collect a lot of stuff. No. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Thank you. Um, I'm fascinated by what a billionaire would know that a millionaire doesn't. And obviously you can make that mean whatever you want, but you're at a level which a lot of people are never going to understand in their life of scale, success, wealth, etc. You know, what do you now know that you didn't 20 or 30 years ago, maybe when you were more new money or you just got successful? What do you know now that mere mortals well, don't? Well, there's a lot of stuff I know now that I didn't know before, but my attitude towards money and wealth, I don't think has changed at all. Um, but I mean, I, lo- I know a lot now that I don't know hmm. so, about, I mean, about life and about business and about relationships and about uh, what I want to accomplish in the rest of my life and what I don't want to waste my time on. Hmm. I mean, the, the the biggest thing that I've learned in my, probably in my business career is that I'm always relearning, by the way, because it's the hardest thing to learn, uh, is just to say no more often. That's the hardest thing to learn for me personally. Yeah. The single hardest thing to learn is to say no. Well, I'm glad you said no to all the other podcasts, but not this one. Yeah, but you've done very, very well in your podcast. Thank you. I'm, I'm impressed because most podcasts, no one listens to them. Mm. You know, people have them because they want to have them, but not many people listen to them and they're not very well done. Yeah. Yours is well done and you have, you have good, interesting people and you have good um, listenership and viewership. Thank you. 
Um, so I'd love to explore a bit more about what those things are that you've learned. So if it's okay, we'll come back to that. Um, but I'm also fascinated that you said your uh, attitude, if I pick the right word, to wealth and money hasn't changed. So what is your attitude and why hasn't it changed? Well, I mean, I, I grew up in a regular to the blue collar, great family, right? So there were seven kids, two parents and two grandparents. So there's 11 of us and, and it's in an industrial town and it was great. And, and my mother was the most remarkable woman in the world and the matriarch of the family. She just recently died a few weeks back, but she, at 102 wow. um, and at 102, two months, eight weeks before she died, I took her on vacation to the Caribbean. So she's still active and she renewed her license at 100 for 10 years. So she's a very active woman. Um, but I grew up in a very loving, normal, sort of blue collar family. And those were my values. And they were set probably by my mother early and often. And they, they stuck with me. Mm. You know, I mean, my mother one time told me I was walking on the street and I, and I, I saw a penny uh, and she saw me see it and I kept on walking and she goes, aren't you going to pick it up? And I thought for a minute and I said, yeah, okay. So I, I picked up the penny. She goes, don't ever let your father see you. Think you're such, such a big shot that you can't bend over to pick up a penny. So that's sort of her, that was sort of how she brought us up. Yeah. So would that be to value money, not that, to respect it? Value money, but also recognize that a lot of people don't have it. So you don't really have a right to squander it. Mm. You should use it to build value and solve problems, create jobs, and move the ball down the field. You should use the money in the capital and your energy uh, to move the ball down the field for everybody else. You know, there's, there's billions of people that are screwed. And a lot of rich people say, well, you know, I get up very early. You know, they have to, those people have to pull themselves up by the bootstraps. A lot of people with no boots. You know what I mean? It's really hard to pull yourself up in the bootstraps when there's no boots. And that's just people justifying all their fancy shit, you know, by saying that. Mm. Every, a lot of people get up early. A lot of people work hard. Mm. And from World War II till I got out of university, real growth in America was 3%, which meant that real income growth median growth, which meant that after all the increase and in all the expenses, you were still going up by 3% a year. So that meant that 98% of the next generation were going to be richer than their parents. Well, that's not the case anymore. Healthcare is rising faster than wages. Education is rising faster than wages. Uh, housing is rising faster than wages. So America, which is a country of hopes and dreams, which is why everybody wants to come to America. It's a country of hopes and dreams. That hopes, those hopes and dreams go away if a man loses dignity. And you lose your dignity if you can't get ahead, if you just keep on trying, no matter how hard you work. Now, real growth is 0.4 tenths of 1%. That means that about half of the people know that their kids are not going to make as much money as them. And about half the people know, no matter how hard they work, they're not going to be able to buy a home. So my, my, my grandfather was a janitor. So he, he cleaned toilets for a living, but he owned his own home with one income. Mm. Can't do that in, in the West anymore, in no. England or in, in America. And I, and I use America as an example because America is the country that's supposed to be leading the charge for hopes and dreams yeah. in the West. That's the country that everybody wants to look up to for hopes and dreams because in America, our brand is that anything is possible. 
And you're going to lose that if a whole generation grow up and they can't afford a house, they can't afford healthcare, they can't afford education. Mm. That sucks. Yeah. And those problems, no one wants to attack those problems. They just want to, the left wants to blame big business and the right wants to blame big government. Mm. And the truth is that it's, you can't blame either. Big business didn't create the problem. Big government didn't create the problem. They both contributed to it and neither of them are, are doing their fair share to solve the problem. But by just blaming the other side is, is not going to solve the problem, Rob, right? Mm. I mean, it takes hard. So it takes rethinking, hence my book. Yeah. It takes a total rethink. For hundreds of years, things were moving slow enough that incremental thinking could get us there. Now everything's moving so fast that you need a total rethink around these problems. Not, the, the way we think and the way we address problems hasn't really changed since the Industrial Revolution, but the quantum of the problem and the speed in which the problems are coming at us has changed. Mm. So people need to start behaving like their life depends on it because it does. Mm. Because it does. Yeah. So my podcast and my brand, if you like, is really focused at people who want to build their own business, start their own business, have the side business. The greatest um, thing in the world. I believe so as well. Um, you, you know, like I'm not kind of into politics. So I don't mind you talking about it. But I probably won't chase you down that road. But what I would like to ask, which isn't on my list, is what can an individual do? Someone who has got dreams and hopes but is struggling to start a business, scale a business, you know, make them enough money to get a mortgage but, and pay it off. And, but, but Rob, th these issues are, aren't separate. They're intertwined because it isn't a political problem. It's a global problem. And the business opportunity is in solving those problems. Yes. So the business opportunity is solving the environmental problem. The business opportunity is solving the educational problem. We have to use technology to solve the educational problem. It's just too expensive. We have to use technology to solve the healthcare problem. It's, it's just too expensive. We have to use, in America, we're going to have to use technology to solve the guns problem. You don't have that to the extent that same problem that we have in, in America. But people have to create businesses and use technology to solve those problems. That is entrepreneurship, so, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Mm. For sure. And people can make money doing that. Yeah. And they can buy stuff. Mm. That makes them happy. Buy lots of stuff. Well, if it motivates them to grow their business, to help more people, to create value, and that's their sure. reward. Sure. I have nothing against that. Yeah. Yeah. But they, and they can hire people and they can employ people and they yeah. can train people. Yeah. It's great for everybody. It's great for the economy. Yeah. It's great for your community. It's great for your neighborhood. It's great for everybody. Mm. Yeah. But it's, I wouldn't separate the, the, the politics from the business because it's those issues where the business opportunities lie in solving mm. those problems. So to say that there's 4 billion people in the world that don't have high-speed internet, that's not a political problem. That's a business opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. To say that there's a billion people without clean water. That's not a political problem. That's a opportunity. To say that education is, in, in America, where I know the price is better, is, is gone up, you know, eight or nine times faster than wages, that's, a, that's an op business opportunity. Someone needs to use technology to solve that problem. Otherwise, only rich people are going to be educated. Only rich people are going to breathe clean air. Only rich people are going to drink uh, clean water. And then 
the best business to be in will be security for rich people. Mm. It'll be the best business to be in if they're the only ones that have that stuff. Sure. So all these problems, they shouldn't be separated. Entrepreneurs should be thinking about how to solve them because what's more fun than solving a problem that the world needs? I mean, I spent my whole life trying to solve problems that were bringing a service to the underserved at a cheaper rate and I, at, scale. I, I, at scale and made money doing it and made lots of money doing it and yeah. had lots of fun and employed lots of people doing it. So if we could, like, we probably will, but if we could take that bit, yeah. so to me, that's what entrepreneurship is about, doing something you love, serving a lot of people, making their lives better, employing people and educating people and creating growth around you. You, you know, you pay your taxes through yep. your employment and yep. everything else. You, you know, the entrepreneur takes the risk, but of course they have the, the bigger upside. I think that's what entrepreneurship is. For sure. For sure. And that's great. And, and in order to build the culture of, of entrepreneurship, you have to keep the culture of hopes and dreams alive too. Yeah. Because otherwise, depre- why are you going to take the extra risk? In de- de- depressing countries don't have good entrepreneurs. No. Countries that are alive and vibrant yeah. are the ones that the countries that are complaining about all the immigrants want to go there. That, that, that's like saying, you know, you, you know, that's like staying away from the busy restaurant. Well, the reason the restaurant's busy is because the food's really good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So <laughs> it, it, the reason people want to come to the UK, the reason people want to come to America is because it's a vibrant, alive place. Mm. And it, you, you, so you want to keep it that way. Mm. And often the immigrants make great entrepreneurs, don't they? Of course they do. I mean, if you would risk, in the case of America, if you'd risk your life crossing the border, then to get a job in Southern California, working 12 hours a day in the sun, picking tomatoes or cleaning toilets like my grandfather did. I mean, that, that's, that's the man or woman you want for your neighbor. Mm. That's the person that's, that's going to take care of you. If you have a flat tire in the morning on your way to work and you need help, mm. you know? Some guy on the, on the way to J.P. Morgan in the back of his car is not going to stop and help you fix your, fix your, black, your, your uh, flat tire. Yeah. I promise you that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So you've done some cool stuff. Um, yeah, I've been blessed. I've done some really cool stuff. Yeah. I've had an interesting life. You, you definitely have, and I've only just met you, but um, founding 20-plus companies, raising more than $7 billion, and I'm sure that's I'm sure you got way more than that. That's just what I found on the internet. What does founding 20-plus companies teach you about business that you can pass on to people who've not yet found one or only founded one? Well, I think number one is don't be afraid of trying because if you fail, your plan B is going to be better than your plan A anyway because your, your plan B, by definition has less risk than your plan A because you already know what not to do. Yeah. So your plan B is better than your plan A anyway. So don't be afraid of failure. Most people are afraid of failure for the wrong reasons. They think that their friends or or, or society will think less of them because they failed. And the opposite is true. If, If you fail and try again, society actually admires you more. Yeah. We love, in the UK, in America, in America probably more than anywhere in the world, we love a comeback story. Mm. We love a man or woman that failed and then picked themselves up and tried again. We yeah. love that. We love that. And if you, pick yourself, if you fail twice and pick yourself up, we, we doubly love that. Yeah. 
So just keep on trying. Mm. And you never you you never know what the alternative was going to be better or not. So just make a decision and move forward. So I'd like to ask you something about this because I do think, and correct me if I'm wrong, or at least we can learn from you, generally I find Brits are more scared of failure and seem to be more concerned about what people think about them with the culture and the etiquette and, you know, the do's and don'ts and the, the social airs and graces. I feel like Americans, there's more bravado, there's more brand, there's more hype and less fear of it all going wrong publicly. Uh, yeah, America, America rewards success that follows failure more than any country in the world. And that's through the whole system. Our bankruptcy system supports it. Yeah. The court system supports lending. it. Lending. Lending yeah. supports it. Your neighbor and community supports it. America supports uh, someone trying again more than any other country. But you get America America's a country. It's a mixed bag of immigrants from, from hundreds of years of people just coming there. And it, like, so my grandfather came over at 16, and I still have in the TV room, his trunk, everything he owned was in that trunk, right? So he got on, the, he got on a boat at 16 going to somewhere that he heard was going to be great. And, you know, I try to get my kids to go away for the weekend and something smaller than he took for his entire life. I mean, everything he owns was in mm -hmm. that trunk. So that's someone who's not afraid. You know, you get off the boat in Ellis Island after four weeks, you know, and the Irish, you know, they were in the bottom of the boat. They were in the bottom of the boat. Mm -hmm. And you get off in, you know, to signs that say dogs and Irish need not apply. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're going to. That, that you're going to grow up pretty tough, pretty quick mm. in that environment. And that's going to breed um, people who aren't crybabies. Yeah. And that, that's another reason why we want more immigrants to come to America, to keep that culture alive. Mm. People like everywhere like to pull up the ladder once they get on board. Yeah. Which is a bullshit move. Mm. But people do it all the time. Right. So, but, but to answer your question specifically, Rob, yes. I wouldn't say the UK is more afraid of failure than the United States. I'd say everywhere is more afraid right. of failure than the United States. And it sounds like you said less supported in failure, i.e. more criticized maybe, or it's... But you've got, but if you, if your listeners want to be an entrepreneur, they've got to get over that today. Mm -hmm. Well, this is why I'm they've dragging this discussion yeah. out about it. They've, they've got to just today say, I, I, um, I, I can't worry about what other people think. I can't worry about what other people say. I just have to go forward, as my mother would say, always forward, never back. Yeah. And uh, some, and recognize, no matter how hard it gets. And as an entrepreneur, there are many, many days when you wake up and you just can't decide: Am I supposed to cry or throw up? Like, what? Which of those two am I? Because <laughs> it's it sucks today. And those days aren't one a year. You know, they're many a month sometimes. And you've just got to recognize that someone has it worse and you just got to go forward mm. always forward yeah if you if you want to be an entrepreneur now it's not for everyone like a lot of people who hear this word entrepreneur and they think that means oh i can make up my own hours i'm going to be very rich freedom yeah and, <laughs> and, and i don't have to work very hard and that's bullshit as you know yeah it's not at all what it means no it doesn't mean that at all mm. it means working twice as hard sometimes for, for for less money than if you had a a real job 
Yeah, that's the risk part of being an entrepreneur, isn't it? Taking a risk in the hope of profit is dictionary.com's definition of entrepreneurship. That's the risk part. I've always found the upside way better, though, because I've had jobs. Yeah, well, the upside of being an entrepreneur, the upside of accomplishing something on your own is, you know, an adrenaline rush like you'll never get, maybe other than helping someone else achieve the same. Maybe yeah. Maybe that's more, but it's a phenomenal feeling. Mm. So sorry to beat this drum about failure. but beat whatever I'm, drum you want. Thank you. <laughs> but I know my listeners will really get benefit from this. You mentioned your father and some of the Irish and immigrants. And I feel like when you're faced with no other choice and things are really hard and you're at bottom, I'm not saying it's easier to face failure and the fear of failure, but there's quite a lot of people that who may be quietly comfortable or quietly desperate, how do they shake up their life when they haven't got the pain of having to get on a boat and relocate to another life with a trunk? Because there's this whole like middle class or lower middle class or whatever um, who are, you know, okay. But if they're okay for 30 years, they're not okay. They're dying very slowly. And I meet a lot of those people and I meet them. And then in three and five years, they've not changed their life, even though they wanted to, because they're a slave to the, to the job and the, the family and the mortgage. Well, it, you, 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 you've hit a very um, interesting point because when you're young, you can afford to take more risks for a lot of reasons. Number one, no one else is probably dependent on you. Once you, you have a partner or mm. once you have kids, now you've got a, a family unit that's dependent on you. So it's harder to take risks. And once you have stuff, it's very hard to live without that stuff. Yeah. And very, very hard. That. Yeah. So it's, and I'll give you an example. In America, you know, everybody was surprised when Donald Trump got elected president. And I was one of those people that was surprised. But when I analyzed it, I found out that there were about 20 million people in America that went from $85,000 a year to $65,000 a year. They don't show up in any statistic as unemployed. And you can live on $65,000 a year. Where it becomes a ball break is when you used to make 85. Yeah. So then you come home and um, you, ha- you have to stop on the way home to pick up your, your wife or your husband because you have one car, you don't have two. So you have to go out of your way for an hour to do that. So that's a little annoyed. You can't find your socks because you don't have the cleaning lady that you used to have, right? You have to clean your thermos because you're not going to Starbucks for the half soy, half almond milk, one pump of vanilla, one pump of agave, whatever, with foam, you know? (laughs) So you're putting your stuff in a thermos. So that, all the things that made life a little easier, they come out of that that top 20 grand, right? Mm. So you get pissed off. And then when you're pissed off, the world gets Brexit, the world gets Donald Trump, the world gets things where people say, I want something different. And they say, well, what, what, you know, put four corners on that for me. I, look, I'm just too pissed off. I don't really know what, what I want. I just want something different. So I'm voting for something different. Now, and we get, that's what we get. And that's what the West has gotten the last few years is something very different. Um, and time will tell whether that's better or not, but it was voted by people that were pissed off. So, but anyway, my point was that you, you, once you have stuff, it's really hard to take a chance because you don't want to, you, you know, they, they always say that, you know, that, 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 um, 
white collar criminals could never, you know, can't survive in a jail. Whereas someone, someone that's, you know, been sleeping in his car can, can survive in the jail. Right. Mm. So context dependent. Exactly. Yeah. So once you have a lot of stuff, it's hard to take chances unless you're willing to not worry about that stuff. Mm. When you don't have anything, you can take all the chances you want, mm. which goes right back to our first point, which is better off, you know, be careful how much stuff you get because then you'll be fearful of taking chances. Yeah. Anything else people who are comfortable but not in enough pain can do to start the business they always wanted? And Well, they have to be, people have just have to decide what makes them happy in life. What, what, what is, is what, if they have a goal or they see a problem they really want to solve, if that's what's going to bring them happiness, why would they not do it? Yeah. Why would they not take a chance for happiness? Why would you not live an extraordinary life and live an ordinary life when you have the choice? And some people don't have the choice. I mean, life comes in, gets in the way. Some people get a husband or a wife that gets cancer. Some people get a sick mother. Some people have a, have a sick child. So, you know, people have problems yeah. and they don't have the opportunity. But if you have the opportunity, why would you not pick an extraordinary life? Why would you possibly pick an ordinary life? Mm. I mean, it may, like, it makes no sense to me mm. why you would, unless you're afraid. But what are you afraid of? Losing stuff? Someone saying you're a failure? Just try harder and then prove them wrong. Yeah. Do you like proving people wrong? Yes. <laughs> that was the easy one. Yeah. Is that, is that a kind of a part of motivator for you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was an easy one. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that's a good way to turn around fear of failure, having critics, what people say about you. Um, I, I almost need it. But it's also a curse because, because I sometimes stay in things longer than I should to prove people wrong. And I make that mistake over and over again. If I could have all the years, not hours, <laughs> of my life back of trying to accomplish something because everybody said I couldn't, you know, I, I often feel like, remember the movie Tin Cup, where mm-hmm. you remember he was he, he, the, 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 the old aging golfer? younger than you. With the old, you, you have Netflix, don't you? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go watch it now. Well, yeah. you, remember, you, 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 you may be younger than me, but you remember Winston Churchill, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Remember Maga Thatcher, right? Yeah. You can still remember yeah. things, yeah. right? Yeah, just about. Net, try Netflix, try, right. try, try Google search. Okay. It's a movie Thanks. with an, it's an aging, <laughs> it's a famous movie with an aging golfer, but he keeps on doubling down. And he's won, but he just keeps on doubling down. Yeah. And like he's hitting the ball all over the course. It's Kevin Costner, I think. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a great, it's a, it's a great visual into the life of, of a possessed person. Mm. Some, you know, <laughs> so you should see it because if, if, if you feel like you're sometimes possessed yeah. with entrepreneurship, you should see it, you know? Mm. And I, like, I think he's like four balls in a row in the water and he's, he's doubling down again and he should just, like, <laughs> you know, pack up and, and move yeah. on. But Anyway, sometimes you feel like that. You just keep on trying because you just don't want to give up. That's the best quality an entrepreneur can have. And can be the worst. I think it is the worst. Yeah. I think that's 180 degrees. I think they're exactly polar opposites in the same quality, which is what makes it very interesting. Yeah. It's, it's what makes life of those around an entrepreneur very frustrating. Because it is, um, 
you know, sometimes you see them shaking their head and saying, why? Exactly why. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's also like that now, this is a more current, what was that movie, uh, that movie that Robert Redford did? Um, it was just out a couple of years ago. That last movie he did, he was the aging bank robber. You remember that? I've seen that. Oh, what's the name of that movie? Where he was the aging... He's the aging bank robber, but after he had everything, yeah, you know, so now he's like 80 and he has everything and he has a house and he has money for his kids and he, and he, and he has a new girlfriend and he still does it. He does it right up till he gets caught, <laughs> right up till he gets caught. Yeah. That's another good example of just compulsive driven behavior that he just can't help himself. Yeah. And, and you'd have to, A, you have to know how frustrating that is for people around you, but I don't think it's, it's something that's stoppable. No. It's either there or it's not there. Yeah. So I, I'm a big believer that... How, how slow is the internet here that we don't know the Google answer that Robert Redford movie? Oh, my God. The old Robert Redford's movie in the last couple of years? Yeah. He he hasn't made, he's only made like one movie in the last yeah, 10 last years. Year, yeah. Last year? So Rob should have seen that. Even without Netflix. <laughs> I it's called Old Man with a Gun? Yeah. Yeah, it's about a guy, he just, he just can't help himself. And at the end, <laughs> he's taken away at the end. Yeah. He just can't help himself. And it's the same, and what about that good Boston movie with, um, uh, in Charlestown, The Town? Remember that? Again. With um, you making me look terrible on why who is it? Who's in the town? The town was yeah. Ben Affleck. Yeah, Thank you. this is a movie. This is not an entrepreneur podcast anymore. This is a movie. <laughs> yeah. So the town again. He they keep on doing it until yeah. They, they everybody just you know Whitey Bulger. Yeah, they're all the same. Whether they're a crook or an entrepreneur, or they just can't help themselves. Yeah. You know, how old was uh, Murdoch when he, when he bought the Wall Street Journal? I mean, he's like 88 now. So yeah. He's, you know, he's, like he's going to prove the world wrong and buy into the newspaper business because he loves the newspaper business. Right? Yeah. I mean, other people probably. If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. saying, you know, Rupert, there's got to be ways to spend your time and your money other than, you know, trying to turn around the newspaper industry because you love it. But his attitude is, look, it's an industry I love. I, and I just, I, you know, always forward. I love the industry and, yeah. I see, and I believe I alone can make a change. That's, yeah. that's what he thinks. That's, 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 
What did, what did um, Thomas Edison say? He failed. What? When he made the light bulb, ten thousand times. He, yeah, he, 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 something like that. I didn't feel ten thousand yeah. times. I just I, I, it took me ten thousand and one to get it right, or yeah. something like that. Yeah, I'm glad I knew that one. I didn't know the last three questions. I'm glad yeah. I got one right. Yeah. You didn't know Thomas Edison like I did. Yeah, um, yeah. So, a couple of things I think you raised that's really important because I, I experienced a little paradoxical moment there with you, where like you're so self aware about some of your failings, but you can't help them, and that for me is a quite an interesting paradox you know you need to say no more and you don't and you've probably known that for decades yet you still back yourself into that corner you know um you know with the the point you just made about your obsession of doing something sometimes when you should have let it go just to prove them wrong yet you still do it so is that what sort of self-awareness is that is that like it's paradoxical, great self-awareness or terrible self-awareness? No, it, 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 it's, it's probably great self-awareness, but it's, it's, it's probably bad discipline because it, it's um, just because I know I'm doing it doesn't mean I should be doing it. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've been working on a project in Ireland for four years, the National Broadband, to wire all of Ireland for four years. What sane man shouldn't have given up three and a half years ago? Yeah. Like, you know, and I just keep on getting beat up every day. I'm tied to the post and beat up. So, but you just hang in there. You know, you go to bed and you get a good night's sleep and you come back the next day. Mm. You know, it's, 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 it's crazy. Yeah. But Muhammad Ali, right? He went back. You remember him? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even without Netflix, you remember him? Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he just keeps on going Too back many and forth. Now we'll see how Tom Brady does. He's yeah. 42, right? He's 2-0. Oh, so far he's doing good. The way he's playing now, looks like he can play until he's 142. Ooh. But he's also a unique, a unique specimen. He's not at that point yet where he should have turned back. But you see some people, yeah. Brett Favre, if you saw him, but you see, you see a lot of great athletes that, that just go a little bit longer. I mean, how do you know? How do you know in the right time? You, you don't. You just can't help it. No. You don't know. Do you know, you, know, you heard of Joe Calzaghe? No. No, he was, he, I think he won 43. He was 43 and 0, I should say, in America. Didn't lose a fight. Probably retired maybe two or three years earlier than he could. But probably in control of his destiny. And I think it takes a lot of wisdom to duck out a little bit early than a little bit late. Is he a fighter? Yeah. Yeah, but the, 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 there's another reason why you should duck out of that early. Because, I mean, you... Your health? You, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, getting hit in the head for a living. But if that's the only way you know how to make money, that's really hard, isn't it? Very. Mm. Yeah, very. It'd be, that'd be an incredibly hard way to make a living, mm. getting hit in the head. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We've had it easy. Yeah. You've, there We've you had go. It easy. Like you said earlier, there's always someone worse off. And I think that's more... I don't want to let that comment just slide without that... There is always someone worse off. And yeah, that's, my I, mo- that's my mother's yeah. all the time. She's and we get obsessed by our problems, don't we? I know I have. I've had a few challenges the last few months and then you can get obsessed by them thinking that you're alone and only use going through them. And why doesn't everyone understand and why don't people help you? But in reality, there's probably 4 billion people who've got it worse off than uh, you, not just for one. sure. For sure there's 4 billion people that have it worse off than all of us in this room. Yeah. For sure there yeah. is. For sure there is. Maybe five. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, it, of course... And if you're spending any time worrying about why people aren't worried about you, just remember what the little flight attendant says. Remember when she says, 
when the when the air mask comes down, grab your own first. Yeah. Like that's what everybody's gonna do. Mm. So don't worry about that. You can just yeah. you can just worry about the rest of your life. They're all gonna grab their their mask first. Yeah. They're gonna worry about you later. Yes. Well, this is the thing I think with critics and people that you're worried about their opinion. You're probably so obsessed with how much they're thinking and write about writing about you when they're probably after about five minutes a month and then they're on and they don't care and they don't go to sleep thinking about you and they don't wake up thinking about they're you. Wor- worried and you're worried about, about them thinking about you. Yeah. I've, I've, I've uh, yeah. My mother used to always, uh, always say that too when she'd say, she'd go to the ladies' room and she'd say, all the girls are in there looking in the mirror and she was, if only they knew that no one really cares what they're wearing because everybody's too worried about what they're wearing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. they, they, like, people, People worry way too much about that. Yeah. Way too much about that. Mm. What other people think. So you talking about your strengths and weaknesses fascinates me because what I hear you said was your greatest strength is also your possibly one of your greater weaknesses and you're aware of it, yet you still do it. And that raises to me a few things I think great to chat about, which maybe aren't talked about a lot because I think, I think people are looking Psychological for... Psychological help I need. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I can't even talk about that. I'm not even going to start. Um, but just that every strength is a weakness simultaneously. Like you have great vision, but you're terrible at the detail. You're brilliant at analysis, but maybe you're not great with people. You're great at selling, but maybe there's a bit of puffery there. You know, you're great at um, the technical analysis, but you're a bit skeptical and paranoid. People are trying to, I think, develop strengths they haven't got, they're never going to have. Develop weaknesses that they're never going to change, like maybe some of yours. What do you think about that? I think that's that's right, but I think there's two separate... I think we have two separate points that everybody in my case, having my strength and my weakness be the same. Let's come back to that for a minute, but let, let me just dig into your other point, sure. which is that some people are good at one thing and bad at another is basically what you said. Mm. And here's the problem with society, society, the whole time you're growing up, people keep on pushing you to work on your, on your weaknesses. The only place they don't is in sports. I mean, if you can kick the ball into the net at a young age, everybody's like, yeah, put him on the pitch, put him on the pitch. Like, yeah. you know, here's the future. Everything else, you know, you get three, three A's and an, and an F and something. They're like, why'd you get the F and let's yeah. focus on that. And you have to yeah. spend more time on that. But, but there's, there's statistical, real data scientists, real data science, pardon me, that says that you can improve your weaknesses only marginally as a human. And you can improve your strengths almost instantly. Wow. So why not just let people work on their strengths? Why are we trying to put everybody into a box? Mm. Well, teachers like to put you in a box because it's easier for them. Mm. If they can teach everybody at the same, the same level and they don't have to do individual work, it's easier for the school system. It's easier for the teachers. It's easier for the system. So, but what we do is we get a whole bunch of people that look and sound alike, which is very boring. Let people go with their strengths. And if the one thing your listeners can really grab onto is everyone is good at something. And that something is what they should focus on because they can improve that almost infinitely Mm. and not worry about the stuff that they're not good at. A lot of people are too insecure. A lot of people are like, you know, uh, like I suck at operations, right? And when I was younger, I used to say, no, no, I'm good at it. I just don't want to do it or I can't do everything. You know, I just don't want to do it. No, no, I suck at it. So because it takes a certain skill set, 
It takes a certain repetition of the same thing every day. I'm probably certain mindset. Well, it takes the mindset that allows you to be very comfortable doing the same thing every day. Mm. You, you, you have to do the same thing every day. And if you add too much creativity into that, that system, you get people off azimuth, you get them off track. And then they're doing something else instead of doing what they're supposed to be doing. So if, if you're trying to make 10,000 widgets today that you want to figure a way to make 11,000 widgets today, you, you want to make sure you, the 10 gets made while you're working on a way to make the 11. You don't want to just say, let's blow up the whole thing. And then you wake up a year later and you say, shit, we have no money because we made no widgets this year. Ooh. But we have this great idea that may or may not work, but we made no widgets. Yeah. You need an operation, man or woman, just making 10,000 widgets every day. Yeah. And then a separate group that's working on a way to figure out how to mm. reinvent that. Yeah. Rethink that. Does that make sense? Total sense to me. Um, I think people spend a lot of time working on their weaknesses because they perceive they need to have this even scorecard, which I don't think anyone really has. I think if you spend a lot of time on your weaknesses, I agree with you, you get marginal gains because you're resisting your whole life's upbringing and wiring and habits. When as an entrepreneur, you just hire someone better than you to do that. But also there are a lot of people who think that, um, you know, they're good at strategy when, when they're shit at strategy. They just shit at other things too. So they want to pick something that they're good at. Yeah. It doesn't make, just because they said they're good at it, doesn't make them no. good at it. You know, just because they said, I, you know, I'm good at strategy doesn't make them good at strategy. How do you become aware of what you're good at and not have that myopia self, or that delusion? Self-awareness. And how do you develop self-awareness? Self very, very difficult because, um, you know, no self-awareness, no self-doubt. You know what I mean? So a lot of people um, just full steam ahead and, you know, and, and it, you, you, I saw a quote on the internet that you gave. I think it was you. Um Ignorance isn't bliss, it's just ignorance. Mm. Wasn't that you? Yeah. Well, it's yeah. my dad who always used to say that to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. yeah. It's I, not bliss to not, not know all the amazing things on the world, is it? How's that bliss? It's just, just, it's ignorance. just ignorance. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Is your dad still alive? Yeah. Yeah. That's, tell him that's a good quote. Yeah. Oh, yeah well. You didn't give him credit for that on the website. You just said it. Yeah. Because it's not my dad's At brand. That, <laughs> that was no, his dad's kidding. quote. Yeah, it was. Dad... It's yours. <laughs> All yours. I'm, sh I'm sure every time I've said it, I've, like I did there, I didn't own it there, did I? I said it's from my dad. No, it's on, it's on films, dads. Yeah. It's dad. What other quote of yours is his? Um, if you don't ask, you don't get. That's a good one. He said that to me a million times. What's your dad's times. name? Dave. Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Another one of Dave's quotes, if you, if you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. If you don't get, take. <laughs> That's, that's a South Boston quote. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we talked about um, risk and fear of failure as things you'd learned founding 20 companies. What else have you learned? It's harder than you think. Everything takes longer than you think. Cost twice as much as you think. Oh, well, if only it cost twice as much. <laughs> Wouldn't that be bliss? Yeah. It, 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 costs, it, it, it costs way more than you think. It takes longer than you think. It's harder than you think. And um, does it get to a point, sorry to jump in, where it no, gets please. easier? Because, uh, you know, if you start a business now, 
you'd probably be able to build a team quite easily. I'll tell you what. what You've got yeah, money but, to invest in. Yeah, but here's what people do. Here's what sane people do. The reason it gets easier is because sane people don't start another business. They buy one that's up and running, which is way easier. Yeah. Way easier to buy something and start something. Like not even in the same league. Ooh. It's not even in the same league. So you buy something, and if it's of scale, and you run into trouble, there's always someone that can be fired or something that can be sold to get you through six months to figure out how to get through the problem if you have something of scale. Yeah. And there's always something, someone to do something for you. When you're starting something, like when you need something done, you look around, you're like, where's everybody? Like, there's no one. It's like, <laughs> it's like 11 o'clock at night, you're there by yourself. Yeah. I was in the office two nights ago, our office in Dublin, and I, and I was in a meeting with a guy and um, we started at five o'clock and we were working. It was an outside guy and at 9.45 we're still there. And I go to leave and there's a new cleaning lady that came into the building, we're locked in. Like, I can't get out of the, I can't get out of the building. So I'm with this guy that came in for a meeting. He's like, you know, I, I was supposed to meet my wife for dinner like an hour ago. I'm saying, okay, well, we're climbing out the window, both of us, out of the window, on the roof, over the wall. And then I called, you know, I called the, um, the, the president of the company. I said, oh, by the way, the alarm is going at the office. Because what happened? I said, I went out the window and I put the alarm off and I left before the cops came because like, what was I going to tell them? <laughs> like, I, like and, and by the way, why was I the last guy at the office? That's another question. I know. <laughs> why was no one else there at 9.45 at night? Yeah. Maybe they went out to lunch. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe they were coming back at 10.30. Yeah. But for someone who says business is really hard and it's a struggle and it takes twice as long and, you know, costs twice as much, I'm not getting the feeling of someone beat down. I'm not getting the feeling of someone. Oh, no. I'm getting a vibe of someone who really enjoys himself. And I'm just getting started. Yeah. I'm just getting started. Do you mind me asking how old you are now? 60. 60. Just getting started. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that. Just getting started. Yeah. Yeah. So, so is there a say? It's going to take you a long, right? long time, though, because you have to watch a lot of movies. So you have to catch up. I've got to catch up more than you, haven't I? You've got to catch up on pop culture. Yeah. I watch all the um, documentaries on Netflix. I love them. Have you watched? I, I ask everyone this. Uh, it, it will move you, I think, like nothing. Have you watched Alexander McQueen documentary? The no. fashion designer? No. Good. Best I've ever seen. Why? Because from age 19 to 40, that guy fit more in 21 years than I think I've seen most successful people on this planet fit in. I mean, he was creative head of massive fashion brands at 19 and 25. Wrestled with his darkness, but brought it out into his work, which I try and bring my challenges and struggles of an entrepreneur into my work rather than pretend it's not there. And um, and, and is, um, did, really wrestled with depression, was a total genius polarized people completely and then um, his mum passed away when he was 40 and on her funeral evening he hung himself and it was just and yeah you should watch it yeah we don't want it to end that way for us though no of course but it's i'm a happy guy how'd you go from i seem happy and upbeat to that documentary because it's also so fucking inspiring what part the hanging himself no what he did in 21 years. Yeah, but he lost the next 20. Yeah, but like, you know, you take what you can, can't you? From You know, like, 
Kurt Cobain left some good music on the planet. Like, yeah, I, I would have loved to have been there. And I actually think I'd have loved to have been there with Alexander McQueen and helped him a bit with his mindset. Who am I to do that? But I would have loved to have just talked to him and said, hey, look, people love you and love him to still be designing fashion. But it's a, it's a reminder how life is so short and very precious. Very precious. And you just, you know, enjoy it. But go create stuff, go make stuff, go help people. I'm with you. Would you watch it? Have I sold it to you yes. or not sold it to you? No, no, no. I, I'll watch it. Yeah. I, I'll watch it. The best documentary I ever saw was the one where um, um, Michael Douglas on Children's Soldiers in Sierra Leone. And what's it called? Uh, Children's Soldiers in Sierra Leone. How are you going to Google that? It, I was the producer of it. <laughs> it's, my, it's mine. That's why I said that. <laughs> Okay. What makes a great documentary? Oh, something that's watchable something that you that what does watchable mean that that it's well written well shot well edited great music really enjoy the storyline really enjoy the flow so um you feel like you could watch more when it's over you feel like you learned something you feel like you were inspired you feel like you learned something and you inspired and you enjoyed your time mm. i mean i don't watch like i don't watch um like junk food stuff mm. like a lot of people just watch junk food tv as a way to pass away their life mm. which seems like a sad you know sit on the couch and eat cheetos and drink coke and watch whatever mm. that you forgot the next day what you, it was just a way to fill your your time yeah because they're trying they're living an ordinary life when they don't need to be doing that no and there's so much what's your great... favorite book you ever read i've ever read yeah Ooh, it's a bit of a cliche in business but i don't care i love think and grow rich by napoleon hill I love Arnold Schwarzenegger's Total Recall autobiography. I love the upstarts about Airbnb, Uber, and all those disruptive companies. Yeah. Probably, the thing is, you could ask me tomorrow and I might feel a different way because I read probably a few hundred books a year. I think it's really important. Did you read the Jobs book? Yeah, I loved that. But I'd put Arnie's, What's his name? He, um, Isaac. Uh, Isaac. Um, Walterson, I think. No, uh, Isaac. Um, Oh, geez, you I mean the biography? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah, I, re I read, I read his Einstein. Yes, I read Jobs. Yeah, I read. Um, he did Ben Franklin. Was he it? did a recent one, didn't he? Was that the Einstein? He did a very recent one. Um, yeah, I think he's. Yeah. I think he's thorough. There's yeah. a scene where Isaacson. Yeah, Isaacson. that's it. Walter Isaacson. That's it. Yeah, not yeah, Isaac yeah. Walterson. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've got dyslexia. That, that was that was <laughs> a fabulous book. It was about a fabulous man. Yeah. That scene where him and he's near the end of his life and he's sitting with Bill Gates and they're having that mutual admiration for each other, even though they've been adversaries. If that had been in a film, that would have yeah. just been perfect. Bill Gates is living an interesting life. I think, he's, I think what he's doing is fantastic. I think he was part forced by society because um, I think often when people get very wealthy, society forces them into philanthropy because probably not something they start with a vision of. I mean, he was, if what I read was right, obsessed about being a millionaire in his 20s and obviously a very much capitalist. Um, but no, yeah. I think in fairness, I don't think so. I think in fairness, that was his decision. He was, there's a lot of ways to cop, but he could cop out like everybody else and just say, oh, I'm going to give all my money to charity when I die. Yeah, he could. Yeah. But he's actually doing something. Yes, he is. I mean, he's not really doing much with Microsoft anymore, is he? No. Yeah. Solving um, world problems. I mean, I think it's noble. I just... Don't want to underestimate society's role in that. I think society has a way of 
people talk about wealth redistribution like it doesn't happen properly, but A, taxes do that, and B, society does that. Society does not let people get too ahead of themselves, otherwise it goes for them. Like if you, you're too cocky in business, then people go for you. If you're too cocky online, people go for you, and it's the natural order of bringing you back into balance. Yeah, people go for you even if you're not too cocky often because the press is um, under huge pressure to sell copy mm. and because there's so many alternatives. So they have to be more extreme. And so they, and they're making less revenue. So, I mean, you're, in this country, the top two Sunday papers, you know, are making $2 million a day on Sunday, $2 million, pounds, mm. not dollars, pardon me. You know, now they're making a couple million a year. So when you have that kind of pressure on profit, you're paying people less. There's less opportunity. Mm. The quality of the people coming in is is down. Yeah. And you have to be more extreme with what you write. Mm. So one way to be extreme is, oh. is just to jump on the bandwagon where one side bashes the other. Mm. And that's unfortunate. Mm. It's unfortunate. There's a lot of unnecessary bashing. You know what I mean? Mm. I mean, I, so I was reading today's paper. I, I was reading the Financial Times today. I, I, I had a meeting in Dublin this morning. And I flew over here. And I was reading the Financial Times. Now, I don't, I don't know if this is accurate or not. I'm not taking a position on this. I'm just telling you what I read. So it said that the New York Times had an excerpt in the New York Times that said that someone knew had come out and made allegations against Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh, which was the guy... Brett Kavanaugh was the one that they had some allegations that, that, and they were proven not to hold the water. So he was appointed to the Supreme Court. So the New York Times had said there was new allegations and they printed that in the paper. What they didn't print, so says the Financial Times, was the editor's comment that said it wasn't corroborated. Other, other people that were there said that that, that didn't happen. And the person that said it ref refused to go on the record for an interview. So they, they just took a piece of the story. Um, and it was really probably just an attempt to, um, and, and I'm not taking a position either way. Yeah. I'm just saying that, 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 that the news, and that's the top of the food chain, mm. the New York Times. It should be the top of the food chain. Yeah. So if, if they're going to get into that, then lesser titles are going to get into it as well. Mm. So the quality of journalism has gone down because yeah. the quality of the journalist has gone down because there's not as much money in the system. And plus it's much more popular to be on the extremes. Yeah. Like I said earlier, the left blames big business, big business blames government, the right blames um, uh, big government. Mm. And, and neither is tr tr the truth. Truth is in the middle somewhere. Yeah. So... We found with a lot of our guests why they like doing our podcast and others that are like ours is because we don't edit, you know, we don't chop it and make people look different and try and set them up for a position. Now, I don't have any, where, any experience in journalism, certainly not on your level, um, but I feel like people want more real conversations now and they don't want it edited or manipulated and certainly people in positions of power or authority or celebrity I think honest conversations win, don't they, at the moment? Or am I being I, naive? I think you're being naive. I don't think that. I think people want it, but um, if it's if it's it's not what's selling papers. 
No, but things not, like podcasting. Now, your country, now you still have BBC, greatest news organization on the planet. Yeah. You still have The Economist, yeah. greatest magazine on the planet, in my opinion. Yeah. So you still have, this country still has two fabulous institutions. Um, um, now, The Economist happened to have favorably reviewed my book, too. So just goes to show how smart they were. Um, so they, they reviewed the book. So, geez, I'm dropping everything. I might knock them back up here. <laughs> so it, it um, so you, you, you have an advantage in this country. You still have really strong news organizations. You know, we've got, so Murdoch, we, we had news organizations that were generally leading left. So we were, Murdoch saw an opportunity to create one that was on the right, which he did which created the other news organizations going more left, mm. which created his news organization going more right, mm. which created other news organizations going farther left, which made his go farther right. Yeah. Now, you literally have to watch both of them to have any idea what happened. Yeah. Because they, 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 and on top of that, politicians, and I say especially in America, have taken lying to an industrial level. I mean, they just, make up shit to get elected. Mm. And they always exaggerated stuff and made promises that were bigger than they could, they could take. But um, now they just, a whole cloth just make up stuff. Yeah. Just like, like say, we're going to do, like, so I was watching the debate the other night, presidential debate, because we started our presidential elections, you know, two years beforehand, right? So we're going to be carbon neutral by 2025, someone says. So then someone, else, someone says 2030. So then a week later, someone says, I'm going to make us carbon neutral by 2025. Okay. So, those, so the 2030 came out. So someone else said 2025. But neither of them are a plan. That, that's like saying, you know, I'm going to make a billion dollars by next Thursday. Look at that. That's a statement. It's not a plan. Yeah. So it doesn't mean anything. Mm. Or, you know, we're going to, get, we're going to eliminate all college debt. Well, that's the biggest consumer debt in America, not counting mortgages. It's more than all the credit card debt. It's a trillion one. Our total tax revenue is three and a half trillion. We spent four and a half trillion, so we already have a problem. So where's that 1.1 trillion gonna come from? Number one, number two, it doesn't solve the problem. It solves the problem for people that are voting age, because they're the ones with the debt. But if you're a mom, if you're a single mom and you have a, you know, you have a 12 year old and a 15 year old at home, it just made your problem worse. Because they still have college education that's too expensive. Now you have another, 1.1 trillion on the deficit, mm. but you haven't solved your problem yet. You need to use, that one I'm most worried about because entrepreneurs will find ways to use technology to bring the cost of education down. Yeah. It won't look like education today. There won't be as many fancy buildings and yeah. it won't look like, was it Hogwarts? You know, the buildings aren't gonna look like that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, there'll always be a place for Oxford and, and, and Cambridge and, and Harvard and Yale. There'll be, there'll be some special institutions. But once you get up past the top 50, you know, when you go from 50 to 500, those people are under huge pressure Ooh. and they're not going to all survive. Ooh. It's too expensive for what you get. Ooh. Have you seen a change in media? Um, because someone like me who's an upstart 20-year-old kid who starts buying a few properties and writes a book and starts teaching other people property and I've not really got any credible experience in anything at all, especially not media. 
And then as I start making a bit of money, I do my podcast. And because I've got a few properties, I can afford to go and do my podcast. And all of a sudden, you know, I've got a bit of influence and people follow me and listen to me and they get a lot of their education through the podcast. And there's this young lad, Ryan, who has Ryan Toys Review. He, he unboxes toys. He's seven years old on YouTube and that did 22 million in ad revenue last tax year. And there's all these big YouTubers and podcasters and influencers who have millions of followers. And... I guess they would have previously got their news or been infiltrated in by the bigger media companies. BBC in the UK reacted because they do a lot of podcasts. Radio was really disrupted. Everyone used to listen to radio in their car. Now they listen to, you know, iTunes on demand or they listen to a podcast. You're you're in media and you've got a great experience. Have you seen impacts and change in that area? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you there's so many vehicles to listen and watch. There's so many channels right now. It's like a decentralization, isn't it, media? It's been like the atomization of yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. So it's now turned into a content creator's world. You know, it's, it's really, there's so many distribution vehicles now, it's a content creator's world. Now the question is, how many of those content creators can make money? Because you want to be able to make money because you want to be able to grow your platform. So you have to hire people to grow it. You have to put money into it. You have to deploy human and financial capital to grow that business. You want to expand that business. You want more listeners and more viewers. So it's a content creator's world, but you have to be able, you have to, be able to survive enough to get real money behind you. I mean, these, mm. these you know, I like to say that, that um, if you follow a trend, You'll make a lot of money. If you follow a, uh, a fad, you'll go broke. So the trend is that there's hundreds of more distribution channels, yeah. thousands more distribution channels. I would call the kid with the, the toys more, more like a fad. You know, I, mean, I don't think you're going to open I'd have a $22 million a year fad if I was well, seven years old. Yeah, but, but I, don't think, I don't think you're going to see that. I don't think you're going to see that, that survive. I don't think and 10, years, and 10 then, years from now we're going to talk about sure. it. The, the hundred different kids that all have their own no. toy but thing. If you, what, what adapt. You, you you I remember reading about it when it happened. What did he do? He, he, he was reviewing toys or something? Yeah, so all he does, reviews toys, unboxes them, reviews them. I mean, if you adapt as well, you know, you, you change the form yeah, of your content over can't. time. Most people can't. Yeah. yeah. Most people can't. Mm. Yeah, I suppose, like you, I see opportunity there. I've, I've probably not looked to the downside too much of content creation because the barriers to entry are zero other than the normal ones like time and desire, but Facebook costs nothing. We live to Facebook. We live to LinkedIn. We live to um, Instagram. There's no, they don't charge us those platforms. Offer, offer an iPhone, you can get on a contract for 50 quid a month. So no barriers to entry at all. And to me, that's exciting. You know, imagine the barriers to entry of our parents. You have to get a massive loan, go to the bank manager. You have to get a premises. You have to get all your stock. You're 30 or 40 years. I mean, no, mortgage means death, doesn't it? I'm, yeah. I'm with you. So it's, it's a fantastic new world order mm. for content creators, for good content. Yeah. For good content. I hope There's you, know, a lot you, of you said you don't like things. I hope you don't like your watch because you just smacked yeah, it. Yeah, you saw that, you saw that, that right? That would, um, I would be mortified if I did that to no, my watch. It's still, still telling. <laughs> yeah. It's still okay. <laughs> um, right, so 
I've got three styles of questions here, and I, I think it'd be a good time to sort of change it up a bit. So we have a loyal community, and I asked them um, to ask some questions. I introduced you to them in our community, and we had loads of questions. I chose seven. By all means, do sort of fairly short answers so what do you do? if you, you want. say to your community that I'm going to come on the show, yep. and you ask them what they want to ask Exactly, me. and I don't try and guide them down a road or just... And then how do they give you the question? They email them? No, they just put them on a, a, in a Facebook post, in a Facebook group. I mean, they can contact us anyway, but we tend to do that. Am I right to ask some of them on their back? ask anything you want. Great. Right? There's no secrets. Okay. So this one's from Neil Gregory, and he asked, what keeps you motivated when you have more than enough money? Well, because... So for Neil, because the money is not what motivated me, it's an irrelevant part of the question. Yeah. So the money has nothing to do with my motivation. Um, so what keeps me motivated is I honestly feel like I'm just getting started. I honestly feel like my life's work, everything I learned up until this point was for what I'm going to do next. Mm. And I haven't yet done the big thing that I want to do. Yeah. That's how I feel. And that's not bullshit. That's sincerely how I feel. And and if you would ask people that personally know me, yeah. they would tell you that that's a fact. And, and surely that's got to be exciting to but feel like you're just dying when you've makes, done so much. It makes life interesting. Yeah. But again, why, Neil, um, if he's listening, why would you want to live an ordinary life when you don't have to? Mm. Some people have to. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. But if you don't have to, why would you? Mm. It'd be a sin. Yeah. So this is from Stephen Daniels. Sorry about the money-related ones. It's clearly you don't care about it. But um, Stephen Daniels, what do you miss from the days when you had no money? I think that's a good question. What do you miss most from the days when you had no money? What do I miss? Well, it's it's the um, from from the pre-money, pre-technology revolution days. What I miss is that the way you interacted with people was you would have spots that you would go to and people would know to find you there. Because you got to remember, you know, who, what's his name again? The Steven. Steven. Yeah. So I don't know how old he is, but let's assume that, that he's lived his, his, his life in this technological rev revolution. So yeah. he's had an iPhone or a phone of some sort. So like when I was in university, I would go to the Healy building steps between classes. That was like my hangout. And there are other people that would hang out on the Healy lawn and there are other people that were, we called it the dog lawn. And then there was the loser's lawn. And then there was these, you know, there's these different spots that people would, would, would hang out. And that's when your friends would find you. And it was all quite serendipitous of what person would be there and, and who you'd end up hanging around with and who you'd end up having a conversation with. So it wasn't a controlled life. So like I knew when I was coming here, Rob, you and I were going to have a conversation, right? So most of my life now I know is controlled who I'm going to see. It's, it's not as serendipitous, right? In those days, you went to a spot and people knew you were there. And whoever was free at that time, you'd sort of get together and you'd, maybe you'd go have lunch. Maybe you'd go have a beer. Maybe you'd chit-chat about something. But because those people were different every day, or some subset of them were different. The conversation was different every day. Yeah. And I miss that serendipity. Does that mm. make sense to you? Total sense. I get it. And, th and that's yeah. something that's, that's much more controlled who you hang around, which, by the way, is one of the problems that creates these echo chambers 
So people believe their own stuff because, and they believe the world is viewed the way they, they believe. Because they say, look, I talk to all my friends. Everybody agrees with me. Mm. That's because you, you, you end up associating with a group of people that have a like-minded yeah. way of thinking. And that and that's contributes to this one side, this polarization of, of society. Mm. I mean, the journalist, the, the, the lack of journalistic rigor contributes to it. The news being father to the right of the news being father to the left contributes to it. The yeah. lack of being able to pay journalists what they deserve contributes to it. You go to Annenberg school, you know, one of the best journalism schools in the world out at USC university of Southern California. You know, you're paying 50 grand a year to go there and, you know, yeah. so you're, you're a quarter of a million dollars into it. And you're going to get a job for 40 grand when you get out. Mm. So that's tough. Yeah. You know, mm. so they, we should be paying them yeah. or we should be helping them figure out how to make more money. So that's what I miss. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, Claire Carter asked, um, are you looking for a wife? <laughs> <laughs> She's going to be chuffed to chuck that one in. Oh, Claire. <laughs> Do we have a picture of Claire? <laughs> so it depends is the answer. <laughs> that was a brilliant answer. I'll, I'll save your blushes. I'll move on. Um, I like this one from Gal. I think these are good questions, actually, because um, some of mine are shite. Um, Gary Bassi has asked, can you be a nice person and become a billionaire? He put, or do you have to be ruthless? But I kind of took that out. Yeah. I'm going to chuck that back in. No, it... it... <laughs> Let's put nice in two buckets. Can you be respectful? Can you be kind? Can you be caring? Can you give a shit about other people? Yes. However, some people think ruthless means, well, you know, I met with Rob and he, 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 you know, he only gave me five minutes of his time. Well, because someone was trying to steal your time, so we use you as this example now, they're trying to steal your time to talk about what they want to talk about, but they're bringing no value to the conversation, and you have something else on your mind, and they would say, well, what a dick he is, no, so we're using you for this example, what, what, what a dick he was that he blew me off, but you were just trying to be efficient with your time because you had something else you had to accomplish. That doesn't make you an unkind, uncaring, unloving human being. So... People sometimes define ruthless as, well, he didn't give me, he didn't give me as much time or she didn't give me as much time or she was curt with me or when I wasn't prepared, um, you know, he got angry with me. Um, now I would change that to say, well, maybe someone got angry with you because you weren't prepared because you were trying to steal my time. And the only equalizer that all of us in this room have that God gave us is time, 24 mm -hmm. hours. It's the only thing that we have that's equal. Yeah. Nothing else is equal except the 24 hours. And you don't have a right to take mine and I don't have a right to take yours. So I think that people like to, it's convenient for them to say, so-and-so didn't give me, give me time. But, but no, you don't have to be ruthless. Right. You can be, you can be plenty of, of nice, uh, uh, Warren Buffett, who I, who I know, and I've, I've been, you know, a fair amount of time with them, is an incredibly um, funny, charming, kind, nice, honest man. Mm. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you, you know, you wouldn't 
be well served to waste his time. Mm. You know, he would be well served to waste, waste his time. Bill Gates, incredibly generous, kind. I mean, he's the most philanthropic human being on the planet. Mm. So how could anybody call him ruthless? Mm. People, you know, you, you, you know, people, I, I knew uh, Paul Allen, his partner, very well, before, you know, he died. But I knew Paul Allen very well. And Paul said that, that Bill was on, when he was young, when he was in his 30s, he was a maniac. And he'd come in the office on Sunday, and, and, and Paul said that you'd see him out through the window, and he'd be putting his hands on people's hoods to see if their engine was still, you know, at 9 in the morning on Sunday to see if their engines were still warm, to see if they had just got in or whether they'd been there since 7, you know? Mm. And then, you know, if someone got something wrong, he'd be like, you know, you guys have been here all night, and you still haven't got that coded. I could do it in an hour. He'd leave the room, and everybody'd say, yeah, he could do it in an hour. <laughs> yeah, the rest of us mere, mere mortals can't. Yeah. So... People would say, is, is that being ruthless? No, that's being driven. Yeah. And that's being um, possessed with trying to accomplish something doesn't make them ruthless. Mm. So the answer is no, you don't have to be yeah. ruthless. Great, great question, great answer. Um, you may have already answered this. It's clear, send a photo, yeah. <laughs> Sorry? Nothing. <laughs> this is from Marcelo Guilano. And that is, what's the most influential book you've ever read? I'll tell you why Isaacson's Steve Jobs was for me, because um, I was amazed at how much that man was able to accomplish in different verticals. He reinvented the telephone. He reinvented music. Mm. He reinvented animation. He reinvented video, um, you, you know, uh, how, how you intake video. He reinvent, reinvented the personal computer. Mm. I mean, he, 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 or the laptop, he, he reinvented so many different things. And most people spend their whole life and they just, they're one part of a group of people who might reinvent something. Yeah. Animation, music, the phone, video. Mm. And I was just in awe with, and he came back after being thrown out to our earlier question to prove everyone wrong. Yeah. Sold all his Apple stock after he was thrown out. And he came back with the, with the goal of proving everyone wrong. Mm. And he did over yeah. and over again. Yeah, I definitely got that from it. And it was a well-written book, too. Mm, yeah. And I I'd, I'd had the, you know, I I'd, I'd met Steve a few times, and um, he, he was, so this goes back to your ruthless question. He, he was possessed with what was on his mind. So I came to see him one time to talk about something that I wanted to talk about, and this was before Toy Story came out, and... Um, this was before they had DVDs, so they, the, the, it was on a tape, like a VHS tap, tape, but it hadn't been released yet, but he had a copy of it. And um, when I started talking, he was saying, hey, I, I want to show you something. So we watched a two-hour movie that he wanted more and more people's opinion on before it was released. So we watched it for two hours, then an hour of questioning on it, and then the meeting was over. 
So when I left, I was like, you know, I flew to the West Coast. We had the meeting. None of my agenda happened. All of his agenda happened. Um, and, you know, that's a man that's possessed. Mm. And that's why he was Steve Jobs. Yeah. Because he was possessed. Mm. That was probably a hundred times watching it. Yeah. Yeah, I like your reframing of ruthless versus possessed. I think a lot of people don't see that. Have you read Total Recall by Arnie? Yeah, a long time ago. That's all yeah. ago. Yeah. He's the same though, isn't he? He's so successful in three completely unrelated verticals. Yeah, yeah. Which is what I admire about him. Yeah, he's, he's possessed mm. too. Yeah, I went to Georgetown with his ex-wife, Maria Schreiber. Mm. Okay. Thank you, David. Um, this is from Charlie Williams. How do billionaires stop themselves becoming corrupt? People decide whether they're going to be corrupt early on in their life. It has nothing to do with money. Mm. I don't, I don't, I don't, that, that's a myth that, yeah. that, 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 that people with money are more corrupt than people without money. People are corrupt and people, are, in fact, I, w- I would, I mean, people are, are, you decide early on whether you're going to be corrupt or mm. not. I mean, that, that's a function of who you hang around with. That's a function of your mother, your father, yeah. your brothers, your best friend. And that's a function of your, of the group that forms your values young. So yeah. you, you, you most people don't have two nipples rubbed together before they've decided whether they're going to be mm. honest or dishonest. Yeah, I've done a lot of research on this. And in my research, I found, because I wrote a book called Money, which has done well in this country. Um, and I found that money just tends to make you more of who you already are. It's an enabler, an exaggerator, because people say money changes you. I'm not sure it does. I just think it enables you to be more of who you already are. If you're, if you're a kind, giving person, you have a lot of money, what are you going to do more of? If you're an addict, what are you going to do more of with more money? It's just an enabler of, of, of I've actually, I mean, because I've probably not on the level, your level, but I've met a lot of very wealthy people and very successful people. And I've seen them through their journey and money's not really changed any of them. I don't know what you've seen. It's like draft Guinness. It just makes you more of what you were before <laughs> you started drinking. Yeah. It's like 10, 10 of them. Yeah. Yeah. Those days are over. Yeah. Those days are <laughs> yeah. Over. Um, actually, on that, I did an, an, a, a podcast, just a little bit of a um, a free flowing one on entrepreneurship and alcohol, and it got it really was uh, well received. Um, it surprised me greatly, but I have drunk probably twice in five years. One of them was my wedding day, uh, and I made a conscious decision to pack it in because I don't want my time taken away from me by feeling shit. And the older I got, the more shit I felt for longer. And I didn't want to... Well, 10 would make you feel like shit. One is not going to... No, no. I I could easily have two or three and feel shit now for long, long enough. (laughs) And and that's not even what I say when I've had two or three. What's your view on that? Do you drink a lot? Do you... Are you a Puritan in that like you want to always be having... Bringing great energy and drink affects that or what? No, I went through a phase where, where... Um, I wasn't drinking at all because I, because I thought it was like watching crap TV. It was just, just a waste of time. Mm. Um, but then I, then, then the, the CEO of a big, big company, um, a fortune 50 global company, uh, based here actually in, in, in Europe. He said to me one time, um, he said, you know, one of the 
great joys I get in life is sitting down with, with my partner and I open up a beer and uh, she has a glass of wine and we reconnect and we, it's sort of like a, it's sort of like a ritual where we stop and he, and he said, I contribute what I did that day and she contributes what she did. Uh, and we exchange ideas. So there's a real, and it can be done over a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, but there's a real spiritual, uh, to me, a real spiritual interaction between two people that are sitting down, sharing a cup of tea, sharing a cup of coffee, sharing a glass of wine or a beer. And I, I think that, you know, I wouldn't want to take that out of my life. And, 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 but I'm not a big, but I'm not a big drinker. No. I mean, I, I suppose there's one time in my life that, that I could drink more than I do now, but I'm not a, I'm not a big drinker, but I'm, I don't abstain either. Yeah. You know what I mean? If I was, you know, I wouldn't on a Tuesday night, just leave work and go to the pub. I'd rather go to the gym. Yeah. But if it's, if it's Friday night and, and I can sit down and you said, Hey, let's go have a beer and we'll chit chat about stuff and have a cup of coffee and chit chat. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Thank you. Um, one more of these, then I'd love to talk about your book for as long as you'd like. Isn't it funny? I would too. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. You should it's, ask. It's, your hand's I'm been sure, on it. The I'm whole sure interview. You have not stopped touching that book. Yes. We've been I, doing I, this nearly an hour and a half. I love this book. Yeah. yeah, yeah great. Okay. Um, I love the title, by the way. So um, love it. Um, this is from George Kiriakou. Uh, and he says, if you had to start all over again, what would you do and in what sector? I do start all over a lot. Mm. Um, it would be, and I am going to start all over again. And it would be in media, uh, back to my roots in, 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 um, in production, mm. back in my roots in making quality, uh, uh, TV yeah. because of the comment I made earlier, there's all these distribution channels. Um, and I have stories I want to tell and there's no greater medium. And there's nothing I've ever done that was more fun. Yeah. And, you know, I won in a few Emmys. I was good at it. Um, so I think I'm still good at it. So that's what I do. Mm. Travel around the world, telling interesting stories, meeting interesting people. Yeah. That's, that's what I'd like to do. All right. So your book, Total Rethink. And, and as we go into this transition. Yeah. It, it was a joke about the picture of Claire, just so we have that on the record. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. he knows you don't edit. Yeah. In, in, earlier, in earlier, it was a joke when I was saying those things and hopefully the camera wasn't on. Yeah. <laughs> but I, when, I was, when I was, I was making jokes. Okay. Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, God, if I had to apologize for everything I said or like pre-frame it, yeah. I wouldn't have a podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so your book, Total Rethink. Um, so why entrepreneurs should act like revolutionaries. So let's start with why did you write it? Um, well, I have a house in the country in Ireland and it rains all the time. So I had a lot of time on my hands on the weekends. That's, that's one, one thing. Um, I wanted to write the book because I thought there was a story that needed to be told, which is that the world has been operating under the basis of incremental change in business and in life since the industrial revolution up through the nineties. And now everything is moving so fast that we have to change the way we think and approach these problems. And the problems are coming at us at such a speed that incremental 
change and that type of thinking won't cut it. Mm. And I, I think that young people need to understand that because it gives them an opportunity. It's a huge business opportunity and it's necessary because of the problems we face. So it's necessary for the planet, but it's also a great for, for young people that say, you know, Hey Dave, I, I, I'm not ready to save the planet right now. I'm 25 years old. I want to make some money first and then we'll worry about, about yeah. that. Uh, that's fine. There's, there's money to be made in solving these problems. Yeah. So that's why I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. And what, what problems does your book solve or, you know, what space does it own in the world of lots of business books? Well, it's, it's most business books are either people write a book and say, let me tell you about how smart I am. And let me tell you, uh, and let me say something bad about all my enemies in a way that you barely notice, but it's, they're in there. Um, and let me correct uh, the press of everything they've said bad about me. You know, that's how a lot of people write the books. That's sort of half of them. And the other half are just regurgitating this get up early, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, and just regurgitating a, a whole bunch of cliches. Mm-hmm. Um, and people like those books and people buy those books. This is different. This is saying that in as um, um, what's his name that interviewed me that said it's not a, as much a business book as it is a lifestyle book. Piers Morgan, thank you. So Piers Morgan said it's, it's more, you know, he said, look, I read the book and I, and I don't usually like business books, but I really like this because it's more of a book about how to run your life. And what this book doesn't solve all these problems, but it highlights the big problems and highlights how I've solved similar problems. And I make suggestions of how we could solve some of the problems based on my own personal experience and what we might want to focus on in order to solve those. And I also have sort of my thesis for how to, you know, how to live a happy, happy life and, and how to approach these problems is in there as well. Okay. Thank you. Um, if you got it on audio as well as paperback and hardback, I think so. Wiley is the yes, yeah. No. Well, I think Wiley is probably the number one business book publisher in the world. They're I don't know twenty years old or something. Uh, the best, probably the best business book publisher in the world. I'm assuming they do, and I should know that answer. Yeah. It's, the reason I ask is because obviously I have a lot of people who are going to be listening to this podcast. I think probably about half of all the books I sell are listened on audio. So, so I, I will, I, you know, that's a good, I mean, I should know the answer and I'll email Wiley when yeah, they get we'll, off we'll, this. We'll be able to find it easy enough for not. If, but it, if it, not. if it isn't, it should. Yeah, definitely. It is. It is. It's, it's on audible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it right. is from yeah. stage left. It is. <laughs> yeah. so that means it's you can, you can you can buy it. You can download it on the Kindle to read. You can yeah. buy the hard copy, or you can listen to it. Listen to it on your. And obviously, it's not my voice. If if I didn't know it was on <laughs> Audible, it should have. Richard Branson did his own voice. Yeah, maybe I'll do mine. Yeah, for version two point Yeah, 
Yeah, like I had a massive revolution for my community, relative, obviously not compared to huge celebrities, but a massive revolution when we got a voiceover artist to do one of my books. And they just, everyone just wants you to do them. Well, if, if, if enough people were to tell me to do it myself, I would do yeah. it. And hopefully your listeners, in addition to following you, will follow me on social yes. media as well. And what, what are your, how can they follow you where? At DC McCourt. D-C-M-C-C-O-U-R-T. Yeah, at, at DC McCourt. Yeah, that's Insta and that's Twitter. And I guess LinkedIn is just David McCourt. Yeah. There's also www.davidmccourt.com is yeah. the website. And people can send business ideas. Great. And if the idea is compelling, we'll go out and meet with them and try to help them out. Oh, wow. Film them and try to get them some publicity for their business idea. Yeah. In fact, we, we owe people, we have to get back to a few people that did have some interesting ideas. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Um, we love to do a quick fire round, freshen up the energy. I mean, you can take as long as you like, but if you want to do these answers quite quickly, you can do that too. Is that right? Sure. Okay. So what was your biggest financial mistake? Being in the satellite TV business. Being in the manufacturing business. Yeah. Okay. Um, these are pretty shit questions, but they get good answers. Um, what's the best advice and the worst advice you've ever received? The, uh, the best advice I've ever received is um, no matter how bad you've had it, pick yourself up. Someone has it worse. Yeah. Keep on going forward. Um, what the worst advice I ever got? Um, Paul Taubman was running investment banking at Morgan Stanley when I had a chance to sell a company uh, in its entirety. He said, no, 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 we'll sell 20%, which we sold for 1.6 billion, 1.65 billion to be exact. And um, I said, I don't know, we can sell 20 for that price. Let's just let the whole thing go. No, 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 no. We were outside the sidewalk, outside Bravo Johnny's restaurant on East 50. First Street, between First and Second, and uh, I'm sorry, 60, 63rd, First and Second, on the sidewalk, and he was, no, 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 and I'm like, I think we should sell the whole thing. No, I promise you, I promise you, we'll get more money for it later. Dot-com crash, and I pride myself, I never sell, I, I've never asked anybody to invest in a company that I haven't put my own money in first, yeah. and I never sell a company until everybody else has got out first. Mm. I either got with everyone, or after everyone. Yeah. So the dot-com crash happened. And we yes. don't even need to refinish the story. Exactly. exactly. I've remembered another a bit of advice from my dad. He always used to say, he used David, to, you're back again. Yeah. And he's getting credit for this one, I can tell you. He used to run pubs. And he said, son, when you go into business, the two worst things about business is staff and customers. <laughs> <laughs> should have never started, should I <laughs> That's what I remember him for. He's a, a northerner, and you know, straight-talking English northerner. Okay, um, has making all the money you've made made you more happy, less happy, or been irrelevant to your happiness? Irrelevant. Yeah, I think I, I could have taken that one out, but I wanted to check. Do you ever haggle? Yes. I can imagine you're good at it. I don't know if I'm good at it, but I do it. <laughs> Especially if I think I'm being wrong. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially if I think it's just not the, it's just not a fair price. So you, so you, you'd have have the sunk cost fallacy, and you'd go for something that's not worth your time on a principle. Yeah, more often than I should. Yeah. Okay. Um, how do you grow a business fast without taking wild risks? I don't know. No. Okay. Um, what common traits do billionaires have in common? I don't know. I try not to hang around with any. Except I, I, Warren Buffett. I, I sound, well, I, I mean, <laughs> Paul, Paul Allen. And <laughs> I, I, I lo- Paul Allen was a sweet man. I love that man. I, I don't know. A lot of them are assholes. Some are great, but I don't know if any of them have common traits. Well, with one common trait they have is they have a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> they have a lot of money. <laughs> um. I'm going to save a selfish one for me towards the end, if you don't mind. Um, is there one thing in the world you'd like to change? Yeah. Yeah. The environment. The decline in the environment. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's more than one. I mean, the guns in America just piss me off. Just pisses me off endlessly. Because I travel all over the world. And it just, I just, it just blows my mind that you can, you know... With a Florida license, you can walk into a strip mall and walk out with a machine gun. It's just like crazy. Like, mm. It's just craziness to me. Mm. The opioid crisis in America is craziness to me. 1.3 billion opioid tablets a month we subscribe, prescribe. Wow. It's crazy. Mm. Crazy. Politicians lying. I mean, this list, is the, the, the one thing is up to like five. Politicians <laughs> lying, you know. Yeah. People, people, um, uh, yeah. It's a lot of things, but the, the, the decline of the environment really, really bothers me. Mm. People uh, not being tolerant bothers yeah. me. Not being inclusive, mm. it's craziness. Bothers me. A lot of stuff bothers me. Actually. Yeah. Mm. And some? Do you do stuff about some of them, or do you just pick your battles? All, all I try to do something about all of them. Yeah. I mean, I try to live my life conscious of all of them. Mm. I try all the time to be conscious of all of them, and every time I have an opportunity, every day to do something for one or all of them I do. Yeah. I mean, I like, I like, I, I'm not kidding you when I tell you I don't own a car anymore. Like I, I, yeah, I, well, I, I, yeah, I, I to I, ask you about that. Look, well, because I, I try to live, I, I walk as much as I can. So, you know, it, it helps you stay in, stay in shape. And I, like, I, I try to live in an area where I can, in Ireland, I can walk to the, the local village. I'm in, in London, I can walk to the local restaurant or pub or lunch spot i can walk to my office in ireland so i I try to walk in the summertime when i you know when i if i'm down at the beach i take my bike to the gym so and then i could take an uber or taxi or the other subway if i if i have to i mean or an airplane obviously yeah but i i I, like i'm trying to be conscious of all that stuff yeah okay thank you um so this doesn't have to be a quick fire and then we've just got one more um but i feel like what i've learned in business is a lot of people are expecting that when they make a certain amount of money or get to a certain level in business all their problems will go away you know like when i get here life will be just what they want and my experience in business has not been that it's been that the more successful i've become i just get bigger problems bigger challenges bigger disruptions and this year has been our best year. We're up 32% and we're into our 13th year. So I understand that's not always that easy to do in a marketplace where there's a bit of fear around. You own to lease? Is that what you do? You have leased properties? Um, I'm talking about my training business, not, okay. not our property. Okay. That's not even including our, our property companies. Um, 
But I've had probably the hardest year of my life, if I'm honest. My dad's really ill. My mum's really struggling with it. Um, we've we've had because of certain growth areas of our business, it's also caused these blindsided problems that we've, we we could never have predicted. Um, and so my question to you is, as someone who has grown loads of businesses and made loads of money and been very successful, you must have had some really big freaking challenges. Um, how do you put your game face on and deliver every day when there's a load of shit going on in the background in your life? Really hard. You have to compartmentalize. Really, really hard. Really hard. You have to compartmentalize. Well, someone gave me advice years ago in Boston, 30 years ago. They said the only way to do it is you have to take every problem, you have to avoid, alter, or accept. You have to make a decision. You're going to avoid that problem totally, and you're going to put it over here. Yeah. You're going to accept it and recognize you can't do anything with it, or you're going to attack it and change it. Mm. So if it's not worth attacking to change, then you're down to two. And if you can't accept it, it's just something that you just can't accept as a human, that, that problem bothers you so much, then you're just going to have to say, I'm going to avoid it for now, and I'll come back to it. So you, I just do the avoid, alter, or accept it all the time. Now, mm. and, and, and I avoid probably more than I should. Yeah. You know, and it comes back worse mm. than it was if, yeah. if you had dealt with the head on, but you don't have enough time. Mm. So you have to compartmentalize. Yeah. Okay. Some, people, some people are good at it. Some can't. Some carry everything with them. Yeah. No matter how, what the size of it is, they just carry it with them all the time. Mm. That's a bad habit. That's a really bad habit. Yeah. I think it maybe depends a bit on your personality type as well. Um, you know, people I know use, some people, people personalities as an excuse too. Mm, I mean, okay. some people like to point, whine yeah. about everything and you yeah. know, say it's their personality. It's not their personality. Just okay. shut up. Yeah. Okay. So let me explain that a bit further. Um, some people are kind of the wear their heart on their sleeve kind of people or emotional or empaths, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I don't like yeah, yeah. stereotypes, yeah, but yeah. you know, some people definitely yeah. feel others pain, yeah. take on people's, yeah. Um, and then there are others who are more self-controlled, logical, etc. So I guess that's what I meant by personality types. Um, so each one of those personalities should be in the right career that fits into that personality type. Yeah. So you mix the wrong personality with the wrong career, maybe that you get more more of a problem. I don't know. Hmm. Okay, thank you for answering that one. Um, that was more of a personal one for me, so I just I always like to get one in. If I'm going to be here, I might as well be a bit selfish. <laughs> um, actually, to be fair, I, I probably do four or five coaching calls a day. A lot of them are 15 minutes, and that's the way I give back. I don't charge for those 15-minute calls. I've been doing them for years. And you know, every day I talk to entrepreneurs who are lonely, entrepreneurs who are struggling, entrepreneurs who have got problems at home, because you know their parent, their partner isn't supporting them, or um, one lady phoned me up and said, "I can't really go do viewings anymore because I was going on a viewing and my husband died in the car crash." And oh, fuck. Um, and I think I guess why I try and be open about this stuff, as in if I've got shit going on, and ask you if you've got shit going on, is because I think a lot of people are afraid to express it. Um, maybe they fear being judged, or maybe they look weak. Um, I don't see professionalism as the way you dress or, you know, how articulate you are. I see it as 
how do you show up every day when you've got shit going on in your life and do you treat people well when people are treating you badly and I guess I just want a bit more of a dialogue going on about that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think, I think that certain cultures, part of that's cultural too, mm. right? So, um, and part of that is male, female. Males would be less apt mm. to wear their heart in the sleeve maybe than, than a female would. Yeah. Um, that sorority of females would be more apt to talk about those things. Um, and I don't know what's right or wrong, but I, th I think, it, again, it goes back to how you were brought up what was normal in your, in your environment. Mm. And that's why people have to be a little bit more sensitive to people that grew up in a really shit environment um, where there was lots of crime, lots of drug use, lots of uh, 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 physical abuse, lots of violence, mm. um, very little education, a lot of hungry, unemployed people. You know, when, you, when people grow up in that environment, you know, you're going to give them a little bit more of a break yeah. because, you know, that's, that was their, their founding. Mm. That's part of their DNA. Um, and you've got to be a little bit more patient with them as they're trying to work their way out of that than you would that someone is and, and those people get frustrated when, when you're not more patient with them because yeah. it's, it's harder for that man or woman to find their way out of that environment. Mm. So I think the same as the examples you're doing are more on the edge are a smaller variant. Um, and you just have to be more patient with, cause everybody's different Yeah, and, and people have to find their own strengths, which includes their personality strength. We, we talked about that earlier. People have to find out what's, what's their strength, not only in business, but what's their personality strength and therefore what should they be doing? Hmm. Some people are better listeners than others. Some people are better talkers than others. Yeah. Some people are able to, um, decode the words and understand what you mean as opposed to what you said. Mm. Some people only know what you said and, and they have, have, have a really hard time decoding those words and matching them up to your facial expressions and where you, in your background and where you came from and where you were that day and where you are at that moment and say, okay, therefore he or she means this. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. So that's that. And some mm. people have a talent for that and some people don't. Mm. I think that the main theme I'd probably finish up that note on then is, I mean, if you care for everybody to listen, to find out, to discover, to not jump on them or judge them or stereotype them, it's probably going to be good for you. I've given up judgment. I suspended judgment Yeah, about 20 years ago. I suspended <laughs> Yeah. I have no interest in judging people anymore. No. Totally. It's another thing from my, my that's from my father actually. Yeah. He, he was big at, look, you've never walked in their shoes. Don't judge mm. It's a, it's a very no idea. Buddhist thing, non-judgment, isn't it? But I suspended judgment. I'm going to have that tattooed. Yeah. I suspended of your T-shirt. I suspended I, I judgment. I suspended judgment. <laughs> so this podcast is called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. What does the word disruptive mean to you, David? That you're, that you're willing to totally rethink um, a situation. Even, Love how you got your book even, tied in there. Yeah. Even if you... Um, even if, if people feel that it's breaking some glass yeah. and it's going to um, disrupt the status quo, it's going to upset the status quo, that you're willing to do it. And I think that, that most successful entrepreneurs would believe that 
would, would not even focus on the disruption piece because they would assume that away. They would, they would say like, like I, I don't really care if that happens because I have a goal in mind and I'm going to reach that goal and I'm going to go forward until I get that goal accomplished. And all the noise that they're creating around them, they won't really worry about too much. Yeah. The, and they'll, they'll not only will they suspend judgment, they'll suspend reality if they have to, to get to that goal. Okay. So your book is Total Rethink. My book Amazon is Total Rethink. Audible. And your social media handles are DC McCourt. Uh, yeah, at DC McCourt. And, you know, and, and www.davidmccourt.com. But, you know, people can reach out to me on social, on yeah. Instagram. They can DM me if they want to talk about the book, if they read the book. And if they post a picture on Instagram with the book, they know they read it. They can DM me all day long and we'll talk about it. Great. David, thank you very much. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Well, Thank you, David. How did that uh, com- compared to your other? Not that I'm a competitive guy. <laughs> compared to your other podcast, how did that? How did that go? I felt very relaxed. Um, I love doing these because I like meeting interesting people who I've not met before, and I also like to experience how relaxed I feel because that's not always necessary. I've interviewed some. Tough people, I suppose. So very relaxed. You made me feel very comfortable. I think we've got a good broad range of subject matter because I don't just want the same or usual yeah. entrepreneurial regurgitation. So I think that was good. I thought that I liked the community questions and your answers. That was a bit of a test. I, I probably took six questions out because I didn't want to keep you here all day. So that, that your podcast actually goes for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, we like to get good. We're finding we're getting rewarded for longer form content. Really? Yeah, like hour plus. And how do you know you're getting rewarded? Because you can look, you can see how how many people listen to it. Yeah, we can we can see the stats. So, how many people would listen to your podcast on average? You think? Well, it, it totally varies depending on the episode. I don't have the the data to hand. Hundreds of thousands. And um, I think our highest episode, so one episode, is 227,000 listens. And that would have been in the last that only two or three months. Yeah. And so, I mean, do people go back and listen to them afterwards? Or is it mostly just... The back catalog still gets tens of thousands of views every month. Really? It's not just the latest episode. People still go back and listen to the older ones. Well, I mean, num- number one is the most downloaded podcast because it's number one. So some of the older ones... You're, you, well, what's it... Uh, um, how is your podcast rated for, for business podcasts in the UK? Um, it's usually, it's been number one plenty of times, but of course when new ones come out, it gets bumped. But yeah, it's right up there. It's had about a thousand reviews, which in England is a lot. It's all right. Yeah, I mean, in America, that you know, there'd be big podcasts like Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss that would have a few thousand. But um, yeah, we're not America. So, and I'm, Do you know Joe Rogan? I don't know him, No. Mm-hmm. No, he does, he's a good podcast. Oh yeah, if you could get on that, you, the Joe Rogan effect you made. He, he, I think he's had about four billion listens. Yeah. So you know, yeah, we're in the millions and he's in the billions. So if you can get on there, that's you're done. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I want, I want to help. I want that's to help. Why, that's why I asked if you knew him. Yeah, that's why I asked yeah, if you knew I would him. definitely yeah. pass on if. So. so um, so what's your business model? So you have a forget the real estate. So talk about your your 
your brand. So how does it work? So you do a, you have a training business. Yeah. So we, we do um, property and business courses and training, um, masterminds, mentorships, workshops. Um, we've been doing that for 12 years. Um, back in our 20s, Mark and my business partner and I, we were just buying up properties, little small dwellings in our local city and we got a few hundred of them and then everyone was like, you've got to write books on this, you've got to tell us how to do this and we, there was a bit of demand there. So so we started that. So how does the training business work? So you 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 go into big companies or small No, companies? no, it's, it's very much aimed at um, entrepreneurs or people who want to replace their pension. We just, we've got like, we bought a training facility and an office in Peterborough. We have about 12. Peterborough? It's just an hour north of here. So we have about 12,000 square feet um, of office and training. Um, we have about just under 100 staff. And we have um, like three or four training rooms. And we do 850 training days a year just from that building. So it's, it's probably sort of similar size to this building, but two floors, not four. And, 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 and so someone would come in and they'd bring their employees or it'd be for the, for the boss? How would it be? It's, no, it's, it's business to consumer, not business to business. So usually they come in, they want to start a business, they want to learn how to do social media. I mean, we, do po- we teach them how to do podcasts, social media, start their business, um, buy, buy residential property, buy commercial property. We've probably got about 12 different verticals now. We just That's mostly one. one-on-one training? A nice group, probably. Our biggest event we've done has been 1,400 people and our smallest one would be 12 people, depending on the style of the event. David, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.